You're listening to Halfway There Christian Stories, episode number 151, Leonard Olivares and the Large Community of Faith. Hello, my friends, welcome to another episode of Halfway There. This is the show where we have honest conversations with ordinary Christians about today's Christian experience. I am so excited to have you here, as always. Thank you so much for doing it. I can't believe we are past episode number 150. That just, uh, I think I said last week, blows me away. It makes me just really proud. I remember being proud uh, when I first started releasing episodes, had the first 13 three years ago, and here we are now, episode number 151. This is a really good one for you as well. Before we get going, I want to just uh, share a couple things with you. Um, We did a little contest last week to ask you to like the um, Halfway There podcast page on Facebook, and if you did that, then you got uh, entered into a drawing to... Uh, win a free t-shirt for halfway there. And uh, you know what? I guess that didn't work out too well. Not many of you took advantage of that. And uh, so I kind of wonder if maybe having you go to Facebook takes too much, too much work, but I guess we can, uh, we can examine that later. Uh, however, one, one of you did, and he's a, he's a friend and become a good uh, and, and constant encourager of mine. Cody Dakota Wooten. In fact, you guys should look for his episode coming up shortly uh, later on this fall in um, on Halfway There, because we actually just interviewed him last week as well. So, Cody, thanks a lot, brother. I will be in touch with you to get you a t-shirt, a Halfway There t-shirt. Friends, if you wanted to get a Halfway There t-shirt, you can just go to halfwaytherepodcast.com and click on the merchandise link up at the top. And uh, you can do that as well. I I really enjoyed wearing it. It's kind of fun. Um, just every once in a while, somebody asks me, "Hey, what's what's that? What's that show about?" And then I get to tell them all about the podcast. Well, uh, that's it. Also, if you wanted to uh, help support us on Patreon, you can do that. So just halfway there, podcast.com, Click the support button, and uh, if you do twenty five dollars or more a month, you can get a free T shirt or uh, you know, if you want to just get that extra conversation that I record every month, you can uh, just do do the five dollar level. That would help out as well, and of course, is deeply, deeply appreciated. All right, friends. Well, I want to take you into this episode. So uh, today, our conversation uh, I already told you is with Leonard Olivares. Leonard uh, definitely. Uh, has what for you and I, uh, if you grew up in the suburbs, uh, is is a unique story. Um, you don't hear these stories all the time, and um, it's a great story. He's got a great story, and so I love kind of his heart that comes through, and uh, his love for the Lord, and just the the way that he he's searching for God, and God is searching for him, and it's it's just a beautiful conversation, and I think you're going to enjoy it. So here it is, uh, episode number 151, Leonard Olivares and the Large Community of Faith. Leonard, welcome to Halfway There. 
Hey, thanks you. Thank you for having me on, Eric. I really appreciate it. Yeah, it's great to make the connection with you. Um, you are a fellow podcaster, and as I understand, I've, I've seen some of your you sharing your story around. Uh, you've got quite the story of God's work in your life, so I can't wait to hear that. Um, tell us a little bit about who you are and where, what you're doing now. Well, you know, like you said, my name is Leonard Olivares. Um, I was born in Long Beach, California. I live in Bellflower, California now. But um, what I'm doing now is I, you know, I'm a, I'm a podcaster and I got some other other ministry works that I'm working in right now. And um, just trying to just trying to preach the gospel and trying to reach the lost and uh, to help, you know, edify God's people so that God can be glorified. Yeah, which is awesome. So uh, take us take us back. Let's let's go back into your story. So you mentioned uh, you're from California and uh, grew up out there. So tell tell us about kind of what it was like for you growing up. Well, growing up, you know, uh, my my father's from Mexico. Uh, my mother, she's from Texas, but her her family's from Mexico. So you know, um, my dad came over here when he was about thirteen. Uh, you know, had his own business, was very successful as his own businessman. Um, you know, uh, came from dirt floors, you wow. know, 17, 17 kids, you know, he was the baby, he was a twin and they were all born in the house. So it was kind of a different environment when he came to the United States where there's running water and there's actually like toilets that you can actually use, not, yeah. just, a hole, not just a hole in the ground. So coming here, just the advantages of of the you know American culture and and what uh, America can offer as far as jobs and um, stability, as far as financial stability, being able to provide for his family. So yeah. that's how I grew up. I grew up with a father that was always working. Uh, didn't really see him that much. Um, he would work, you know, like I said, since he was an immigrant coming here, he really had to work double. So he was working a job in a factory and then working another job in aerospace industry for free, actually working for some uh, engineer in the 70s and um, worked for him for about a year for free just so he can learn everything. So my dad was pretty much absent for a while, you know, trying to uh, better himself and better his family. Uh, I got two sisters, two older sisters. I'm the baby of the family. And um, the only boy, but, uh, you know, my dad coming from 17 kids, you know, uh, 12 brothers, and he's only, he's the only surviving boy at all the family right now. So um, a lot of his family, a lot of death in the family, wow. suicide, suicide. And, mm. you know, uh, yeah, it's pretty rough. A lot of, a lot of alcoholism and um, just, just a lot of stuff, man. Um but like I said, coming here and he's feeling like the you know the world is on his shoulders that he needs to produce to help his family in Mexico, sending money back to Mexico just he, to help his family. Yeah, so that raises several questions for me. So, like uh, first of all, um, and I, with it, we don't have to get too political, but I I wonder what that does to your view of immigration. You know, um, as far as my view on immigration, I always look at it like this: whatever happens, it's in God's will. Sure. So I don't. I don't pretty too. I don't like put too much on that because I always look at. I always talk to my family and say, whatever happens, it was in God's will. God knows the future. God knows the day that you were born. He knows the beginning of what's going to happen. So our best bet as as people of God is to be in God's will. Now we don't know the future. We don't know what God has for us. So I always tell my family and like my father, 
dad, whatever happens, it's in God's will. God holds everything. If God wants you to go back to your country, then that's, that's what it is. If you've been here, you know, over 50 years and, and, um, you know, even doing government contracts for the military, as far as, uh, you know, doing an aerospace and all, you know, technology and all that, but still, if they want to send you back, it's in God's will, you know, and, uh, whatever God has for you, that's where you want to be. So, I mean, so that's how I try to, um, talk to my family about it. So, I mean, as far as all the political things, political things that go, that go on, they're just, there's no, it's just going to happen, you know? Mm. And if we just trust in God and we put our faith in the Lord, that's, that's who our rock and our foundation is, is God. And that's what I try to relate to my family that this is, remember that God holds everything in his hands, yeah. everything. So yeah. no matter what happens, it was because it was in God's will. If it's out of your control, it's in his will. And, and the thing is, we don't want to take control of our lives. We want God to have control over our lives because most of the times when we have control and we do things with our own decision, decision making, usually it's the wrong thing because it's our will and it's not God's will. You know, so I, I try to walk in the path of allowing God to be, you know, Lord of my life. So, yeah, no, I think that's interesting. I think, uh, in many ways you're right. Just take the politics out of it and, uh, and just say, Hey, whatever, whatever God wants. One of the problems I find is that we often, uh, want to, uh, look to, uh, political leaders to kind of solve those issues for us when really we need to just be worried about what God what God is doing right now. So I appreciate that. Uh, so what did it do for you to, so your dad was gone a lot. So how'd that affect you? Well, it affected me. Um, you know, like I said, my dad, he, he was Catholic, but he wasn't Catholic. I kept practicing Catholic. Mm-hmm. You know, my mom, she was Pentecostal. My grandfather was a preacher. Um, my mom on her side, you know, um, my mom's very Americanized as they would say, you know, even though she was Hispanic and, but just, she grew up in, you know, the American culture. So, um, didn't really speak Spanish that well. Uh, there was kind of a disconnect between my mom and my dad. I don't know how they worked it out. My mom ended I guess, learning Spanish. So, but, um, but my mom, like she came from a Pentecostal family, like in back in the old time Pentecostals, this is like in the, you know, fifties and all yeah. that, and you know, where it was a lot different than what it is now today. You know, uh, if you were to look at Pentecostalism back then and today, it's completely different. But so, like sort of revivalism kind of thing or. Right, right. And holiness, holy living. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, it's it's it, it, it's kind of turned into something else today. You know, the charismatic movement is um, I don't know. It's it's different. It's a lot. It's, if you were to look at it, the face of it then and the face of it now, it's a big difference. But um, so my mom was really into, you know. When she was little, my whole family, as far as my mom's side of the family, her brothers and her sisters were really into prayer. I'm talking about like, you know, there's six kids and little kids like five years old, seven, eight, all the way up to 12 and just praying, you know, to the point where, you know, I don't, I don't know if a lot of believers, if, you know, uh, they don't know about praying in the spirit. Well, you know, my mom and her family would do that. And we're talking about praying for like, not just like 30 minutes. We're talking about like eight hours straight praying to the point where they didn't even go to school because they were so, they just wanted to pray all day. 
Oh. And uh, it's it's pretty insane when you think about it. And I think about it because, you know, in my prayer life, I'm like, wow, man, I try to pray for like eight. <laughs> I mean, just try to pray for an hour straight, <laughs> right. like eight hours. But it, but to them, it was like fun to pray in the spirit. And, and it was to the point where, uh, you know, like I said, my grandfather was a pastor and he was kind of worried about the kids not getting an education and saying that, you know, this is not healthy. They're just praying all the time. And it's kind of weird when you, when, when I, you know, I hear that and, and I think about that now, you know, I mean, uh, it's just to be in the presence of God is like, number one, I would think, you know, yeah. there was, there was something that was moving in that family and my mom's family were to the point where, where they would go to churches and, you know, they would start praying. So you have these six little kids just praying, praying, crying, praying, praying to the point where people would, you know, like my mom, she would start speaking in tongues and, and people like from Korea would hear her, hear their own language, you know, her giving praises to God in their language. And they would go up to my, my grandmother and, and say, how does your daughter know our language? And my, my grandmother, like she doesn't. And, <laughs> and they wow. were like, well, I, I heard her, you know, giving praises to God in our language, you know, it just, uh, a lot of things, a lot of healings, a lot of people would be getting healed. Uh, a lot of people that were in deliverance as far as like being demon possessed, you know, like demons being cast out on, I know a lot of people might think, okay, that's kind of weird. Well, you know, I mean, I've seen firsthand, you know, there's really, I mean, people can say that might not be for the church today, but you can't take away somebody's experience and their testimony, you know, from what I've seen growing up, um, demons being cast out of people, you know, uh, going to a church that people being healed of cancer. I mean, to the point where people, a demon was being cast out of a person to the point where they threw up a frog, a living frog out of their mouth. Whoa. You know, and um, that's the type of environment that I kind of, I grew up in on my mom's side. Now, my dad, he wasn't really church going. I guess when he got with my mom, she wasn't going to church. And as, as they got married, you know, like she um, went back to the Lord, like she, they fell away from the Lord when they were younger, you know, and the, and the thing is, is that my, uh, my grandmother, she ended up divorcing my grandfather and split the kids you know, completely. And I always say that, you know, when you, when you do God's work and you're really making real change in people's lives, the enemy will attack you real, you know, just 100% will not leave you alone. Will not. He will look for anything he can to destroy you. Why? Because you're making a difference in people's lives and he doesn't want that. Now, if you're not making a difference in people's lives, leave you alone. He'll just allow your choices just to play out. But if you are you know, doing actual change and people are being changed by what you're doing, you're going to be attacked. That's, that's a given 100%. And they were attacked to the point where, you know, my, my grandmother gave in and they got a divorce and it split all the kids, you know, and just stopped what was the, the move of the Lord in that family real quick. So, yeah. So that's an interesting environment to step into as a child, right. Or to find yourself in, I guess. Um, right. What, so what was the effect on you as far as your faith? How did, so did you grow up very Pentecostal or what was that like? Well, I grew up, like, like I said, yeah, very Pentecostal, like people dancing in the spirit and gotcha. all that. And, but to me, I didn't really have a relationship, uh-huh. you know, it was just that this is what my mom does, you know? Yeah. Did you want yeah. it? I mean, I did. I knew that there was some, you know, at, at that young age, I didn't, 
I don't know. I don't know if I could really comprehend or, you know, I mean, I did because I seen, you know, supernatural things happen. Yeah. I think a lot of times I was scared, you know, because of uh, like demons getting, you know, cast out. And <laughs> yeah. I would be freaking out, man. My mom totally. was just telling me, just grab the Bible, say the blood of Jesus, the blood of Jesus. But there was a disconnect at home because, um, you know, we would go to church and we, you know, we'd be there for like six hours at church. Just right. Just, praising and singing and you know we go there at six and won't leave until like two in the morning so but um but my dad he was very standoffish when it came to that he's like i don't understand it i'm catholic the thing is he was like i'm mexican so i'm catholic period yeah it's just it it has nothing to do with practicing the religion or practicing the faith it's just i'm mexican and mexicans are catholic period you know, that's just what it was, you know, and, um, but for him, you know, uh, his lifestyle and how he grew up, it was very different. So very, at, at that time, it was very abusive to my mother. Um, you know, a lot of drinking, um, at that time, I think I was like around eight years old. I had got molested by my sister's best friend. Oh man. You know, uh, she was about eight years older than me. I think, I think eight years older than me. And, um, yeah, she was 16 and I was eight. So, uh, but I got molested by her. So I started like, you know, like messing up in school and getting kicked out of the third grade and, getting, you know, and parents didn't understand what was going on with me. And they sent me to all these counselors and, you know, I didn't, I didn't know what was going on. I mean, I knew that right. I was being molested, but I didn't know that it was, I was being molested. It was just, I don't know. I just, when you're that young, you just, your, your mind frame, I, I I understand now because I'm I'm 42 years old. But yeah, I can understand as a 42 year old though. So I you know uh, at eight years old I can only comprehend as an eight year old. Uh, you know so right. You obviously don't have categories for that kind of thing. Um, wow. Okay. So that then starts coming out in your behavior and kind of what what you were doing. Yeah. Where where'd that lead you? Well, it, it led me into, so I was getting kicked out of a lot of like elementary schools, you know, and then, um, because you pro- were acting out because I was acting out and, um, you know, biting the teachers, hitting the teachers. Um, back then they used to be able to spank you when I was going to school, they used to have a oh, paddle man. and they used to, you know, parents would sign a permission slip for you to get spanked and they would have a paddle with all these holes in it. And I wouldn't let the, them hit me. So I would fight back throw staplers or bite them or whatever <laughs> so i would get kicked out of school and sent to another school so this this caused a big problem for my dad so you have to understand my dad is here in america and he's trying to do his best he's trying to work he's trying to provide for his family and he has this son his only son um acting crazy and he has to leave work because my mom doesn't know what to do and you know it's just a complete inconvenience for him you know so uh you know, and he acted out in violence. So, mm. and then, you know, they paid for all this like psychiatrists to see what was wrong with me. And they, you know, and, um, and at the time I was like, there's nothing wrong with me. But, you know, when people start saying that there's something wrong with you, eventually you begin to believe it. Yeah. You know? And especially at that young, you're like, whoa, I, well, man, I, I guess there is something wrong with me, even though I don't feel like there's something wrong with me, I guess, you know, so they, they said I had ADHD and dyslexia and, you know, I had behavior problems. And so a lot of psychiatrists, uh, I don't know. It was just that that was the world that I was in, you know, at a young age. And so that led just just my complete rebellion towards anything, anything, 
every everything. So, you know, I went to jail when I was 12 years old and out of jail all the way to I was about 27. But um, just got into a lifestyle of, of gang violence. Um, I just that gang culture, the Hispanic gang culture just appealed to me because, you know, everybody was like an outcast there anyways. So I already felt like an outcast and that's just where I, I fitted in, you know. Yeah, which is kind of interesting, right? That's one of the appeals um, is that, hey, you you actually belong here. Right, because there's a lot of people that were just like me there. And right. So, um, you know, very accepting. At, at that time when I was growing up, there was a sense of brotherhood, you know, to like it's hard to explain where we would be like, man, I die for you. That's how strong the brotherhood was with us where it was to the point of death, you know, and, um, but seeing a lot of violence in the streets, uh, seeing people get shot, um, being shot at, um, you know, it, it kind of hardens you, you know, especially at a young age, you know, seeing so much violence and, um, you know, experiencing violence. Yeah. So you started that at 12? Started that at 12, got locked up when I was 12, went to jail. So started getting tattoos when I was 12. And, um, yeah, man, I, I, that's the type of life. So my, at that time, my, I just completely rebelled against my dad and I'm like, I'm not going to school. I don't care. Do what you're going to do. You know, I didn't care. I would just run the streets, uh, just do whatever, steal cars. I was just, uh, I was just a menace. I was a street terrorist is what I was at that age. Wow. Well, yeah, I think that's hard for some of us who live in the in the white suburbs, right? Like, what is that life like? Um, so that's that's really interesting to to just consider, um, and yet it happens all the time, right? And so, thank, it, thanks for sharing. It, it that. does, you know. And I think what it is is that a lot of these kids don't have any guidance. Yeah, you know, I I talk to you know my passion right now is for the young right now, and. Um, and when I talk to these kids, there's nobody really, even their parents, even if their parents go to church, there's just this uh, disconnect with their children. Because I think a lot of people, if they forget when they come to the Lord, they God has healed them, made them a, a different person, but they forget where they came from. Or maybe they've never came from anything and they've always been like that. So they can't understand what their kids are going through. But yet there's this kind of a judgment towards their kids. And instead of just uh, uh, looking at them and praying for them and seeking the Lord for them, you know, like I always tell me, I, I have a total of 10 kids. I got number 11 on the way. Wow. And, right. So, you know, and I had uh, from three different women at that time. And so when God restored me, I was able to get custody of all my kids. So all my kids were living in one roof. I had got full custody of all my kids, went to court took all my kids and um, got custody as a single father for all my kids, man. But um, that's just God restoring me and, and was able to, to allow me to uh, go to court. And it was just a miracle in itself that I was able to get all my kids under one roof. But, yeah. that um, Okay. That's interesting. I want to hear that story, but I want to, I want to build up to it. So, um, okay. So you're, so you're in, in the gangs. So then how eventually do you end up finding Christ? Well, I've always knew about Christ mm-hmm. growing up. So that, that was always there. I think, you know, I, I say now that I, you know, I've always heard the voice of God, just didn't know that it was the voice of God. Yeah. 
but I always heard the voice of God. What was that like? Yeah. Do you do you remember a time when you were? Well, I always try to explain it to my kids like this when they always ask me, Dad, what do you what do you mean by the voice of God? And I always say this. OK, I said, let me give you a quick example. Say you're going to do something wrong, like say my 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 kids, they're uh, they're going to do something that's not right. You know, say they're going to uh, I don't know one, I'll give you an example. My son and his his little cousin, they wanted to climb my roof <laughs> and they were up there. When I got home, I seen them up there. And uh, I was like, get down. And they got down. And um, I spoke to my son. I said, look, I know that the Holy Spirit, I know that God spoke to you before you made that decision. I know for a fact, because God is faithful. He's faithful. So I know for a fact that he spoke to your heart and let you know not to do that. There was a, there was a point in your, your decision making that there was a point in your heart that you felt that you shouldn't do that. It might have been a small little voice, but your mind overpowered what that voice was telling you. You, your reasoning, the what you thought overpowered that voice. I said, son, that is the voice of God right there. That is the voice of protection for you. It's very mm. important that you heed that voice. So that was just an example of, uh, and then, you know, of course he was like, yeah, he, you know, he, he heard that, that pulling in his heart not to do that. Right. So, and the point of decision-making, the voice of God, because God is faithful. He's yeah. faithful. He is so faithful, no matter what. He is faithful, because the Holy Spirit is what draws men to him, to, to, to the Lord. So that voice, I tell him, you, it's very important to, to, you know, to listen to that voice, because the more that you push that away, the more you become numb and you don't hear it no more. You don't ever want to get to the point where you don't hear it, because then you're in a very dangerous place. You know, so and that's the best way I, I, I would explain it to my sure. children is that that voice like that. So even when you were doing all these things that were wrong, you knew that they were wrong and were kind of right. in that and, place of rejecting God. Right. And so that same voice would be, you know, that same voice that would warn me would be the same voice that would, you know, uh, draw me towards him, you know, not just in warning, but just like, you know, um, like God calling me towards him, you know, through people and, um, you know, through conversations. So, uh, I eventually, I went to this boarding school. I got, um, I had got arrested with a gun and they were going to send me to YA. YA is like a junior prison. And my dad, my mom, you know, they were just like, well, let me back up. So when I, when I turned about 12 years old, my dad finally gave his life to the Lord. You know, it took you know, years for my dad to finally give in. So my dad actually had a, a a real change in his life. Like it was night and day. Like he really had a conversion, you know, like Christ really, you know, uh, yeah. stepped into his heart. That's awesome. You know? And so he became a completely different person, which I couldn't, I didn't recognize. thought it was fake. And so I did everything in my power to break that. So once again, when there's a real change, the enemy will use people to break you down. And the enemy was using me to break my father down. You know, a lot of times it's the people that are closest to you or your own family members. And so the enemy was using me to affect change in my dad because my dad had a real conversion. So the enemy was using me so that to break him. But my dad didn't budge, you know, but I did everything, everything in me to break that, you know. 
and um, I would never get a reaction from him. It was always love from that, that point on. And um, just couldn't understand it. It was just, it was really weird to me. So anyways, I was out there uh, just, you know, just acting crazy, you know, getting it, going in and out of jail. And um, so I got caught with a gun. They were going to send me to prison for two years. I was about, at that time, I was like 14 going on 15. I already had been in and out of jail for a while. I went to different camps, locked up for like six months, eight months at a time, in and out, three months, two months. And um, so to me, I was like, I, I, you know, it's fine. I don't care if I go to, you know, junior prison. I'll just be kicking it with all, you know. Your friends? All my friends. Right. It's, that Which is like the big game. Which is the weird thing, right? We think, okay, that's got to be, that's going to get through to you. And then it's really just like going, you're going to where your friends are and you're, the people Right. That you know. So I guess because I got locked up being so young, you know, I think the the most people if they get locked up, they're they're scared of what's going to happen. But when you're young at that age, you really I don't know. It's just it's not real. Nothing seems real to you. It's just like a big game. And um, and then when you realize, hey, it's not that bad because obviously I must be bad myself because mm. I don't have an issue there. But there's other people that do. I get locked up and I don't have a problem being locked. I can get locked up and have no issue with anybody. Like nobody will do anything to me. Oh yeah. So that forms an identity. Right. Right. So yeah. yeah so that, and it's the point where people were, you know, you, you bring fear to other people around you. So it's like, you, you, you're the aggressor. Now you're the ones that the people should fear, not the other way around. Right. So, so like I said, being locked up, that that's what it was like. I, you know, I was the person that you should fear, not me fearing you. So, that's the kind of persona that I had being in there. So it wasn't a big deal for me. And that's how I lived my life in the streets. You know, I would buy alcohol. It's about 13 years old, man, walking to the liquor store, you know, buy 40 ounce of alcohol and they would sell it to me because they were scared. Oh, wow. They would sell it to me because they were scared because they seen me going there all gangstered out, you know, ball headed. And, you know, they just, they didn't want any problems. So they would sell me alcohol, cigarettes, whatever. And so growing up, having that, uh, like, wow, you know, it's kind of almost like power at a young age right. over, over adults that are way older than you, you know, so um, just living where people are fearing you. And um, so I got, like, long story short, don't, you know, go off into a rabbit trail. But um, so I got arrested with a gun and it was my fault. You know, I was, I was antagonizing the police officer uh, they were looking for me and I was on a bike and I said, Hey man, you're looking for me. And I was just rolling around mm -hmm. in a circle around his car, around the cop car. Like, what's up, man, come get me, come get me. And I had a gun on me. Oh man. And so, uh, he came chasing me and he kicked my tire and I fell off the bike and the gun fell out and he arrested me and took me to juvenile hall, but they were going to give me two years for that. And, um, my, my dad just like pleaded with the judge and said that he would send me to this place called Agape Boarding School. It was in Washington, the state of Washington. And it was a boarding school for all these troubled kids that were from all around the United States. And it was a gated place too. So, and it was in this little town called Othello, Othello, Washington. The town had probably, it was a little farming town, probably like 1,500 people. But we were at the top of the hill. We were in this old Air Force base. Mm -hmm. That was a banded Air Force base that we were in. So there's probably like about 200 kids all from around the United States everywhere. And this, I, you know, this boarding school, that it was just like a new thing. 
And when my mom had found out through um, this pastor from First Baptist Church is when I told her about it. So my mom was like, let's send our son over there. And so I, I was there for about two years and it was it was really different. It kind of opened my eyes there about a lot of things. Um, they really they really hammered on how um, music, television, the stuff that you read all has an uh, a worldly demonic influence on you without you knowing it. It all can uh, it's all a type of brainwashing that the world is trying to do. You mean so that it's very ungodly and it has nothing to do with God and hates God, period. So that's the type of environment was just pretty extreme, but I'm thankful. I'm thankful now for it because it's like, it's opened my eyes to see the reality of what was being said back then. It was like, man, come on. But now that I see right. that everything is moved by some type of spirit, it's even either an anti-God spirit or it's the Holy spirit, you know, it's one or the other. So, um, but they would, so we would, they would allow us to watch football, but they would turn off the commercials, you know, weren't allowed to watch regular TV or nothing like that. And it was, we wake up at five in the morning and we'd read the Bible for about a half hour and we would have to memorize like whole chapters, man, throughout the whole week. And if we didn't, they made us do like a thousand pushups. And so, wow. It was so we would we would read the Bible, get up, read the Bible for about a half hour, eat, go to uh, go back, relax for a little bit, go to school, uh, eat lunch, have church, go back to school, um, you know, come back and relax, eat dinner, and go to church, and then go back to bed. So it was like church twice a day, every day, seven days a week. So, um, but it was reading the Bible constantly memorizing scripture constantly you know um but i'm thankful for that even though it was hard it kind of was like a washing my mind from the world that's what they were trying to do oh wow because your mind is so there's so much that goes into us as children we don't even realize it since the day that you know even when when our mother's womb we're, we're constantly being spoken to whether it's good or bad and uh whether it be media whether whatever it may be there's something that's preaching to you, you know, something is. So if you're watching TV and you're watching regular, just, you know, Disney or something that, it, that it is speaking to your spirit, whether you know it or not, you know? Um, right. We're always being influenced all the time, constantly yeah. bombarded, constantly, constantly. So it was complete washing of my, my mind, but still, I still had that rebelliousness end up taking off from there. And I guess it was just too much to the point where like, okay, your son needs to leave now. So, you know, cause I, so okay. I ended up leaving. I, I wish I never would have left, but you know, that's just because of my own faults. They end up kicking me out. I, I you know, I finished the two years and after that, they're like, Hey, you got to go. <laughs> okay. So, so you had to leave, but so did that, and when did you find a relationship with Christ personally? So that, um, okay. So that kind of, I, I think at that time I gave my life to the Lord. Mm, okay. Because I was pretty serious back then. Even, even though I was a knucklehead, I, I, I made a conversion at that time. But then when I came back home, there was just so much temptation, man. It's just like, it's like I never left. Sure. You know, it's, uh, 
Well, those are your people, right? Right, right. So going out, it's just like I never left, you know, welcome with arms wide open. Mom and dad were just afraid. But that, what could they do? You know, I'm 17, about to be 18, and, you know, they couldn't do anything. My mom and dad tried to buy me a car, trying to make it, you know, feeling that, okay, well, if we buy him a car, then he'll, he'll, he'll act different. They were trying to buy things to make it, you know, to make me different. And I always tell my parents, there's nothing that you could have done that would have made me different. You could have chopped off your arms and <laughs> I still would have made those bad choices. Yeah. It wouldn't have mattered, you know, because that's what I wanted to do. At that time, there was nothing that you could possibly do to change me. Nothing. The only person that could change me is God, you know? And so, uh, I went back to the streets, got into a lot of, uh, drug dealing. You know, I would always say that all my friends, they either, they either kill, steal or deal. That's what all my friends did. Kill, steal or deal. Wow. That's, that's the type of people environment that I hung with. I mean, pretty serious people, you know, and, um, that's just that that's it was just complete darkness now now when you're in complete darkness you i always say this it's easier to talk to somebody that's in complete darkness because they recognize darkness they know that it's real so when you begin to speak to them about truth you begin to speak to them about about you know the light about christ you mean you begin to speak to them about something that's real they recognize it because they see evil they see it Right. So they know that they're, if, if they see evil, they know that there has to be something opposite of that. Something good. Yeah, I something think that's good. so interesting. I never understand trying to preach the gospel of condemnation to people because I, I just think people actually get it. They they understand what what is right and wrong, and they understand where they are in relationship to God. They just uh, need to be told the good news. They need to be shown that light, as you say. Right. And, you know, I, I feel the same way about, you know, I don't, when I talk to people, I don't tell them, hey, you're wrong because it's like this sin has already been judged by God. Mm -hmm. So there's no point of me judging that person. He doesn't know any better. He doesn't even have Christ. How does he know what is wrong for him? Like what he considers wrong. If you're telling somebody that doesn't believe in God that you're going to hell, well, they don't even believe in God. Right. So hell is not even real. It's like, so it makes no sense to them. What you're saying, you know, it may make sense to somebody that's a believer and knows the Bible, but for somebody that doesn't know the Bible, that doesn't know the word, it makes you're speaking gibberish. You have to come at them with truth, not in a, not putting them down. You have to come at them where they're at and explain to them what, what's going on with them and, and being sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying. You know, I, I, I've seen that a lot where people... Even when I was out in the streets, you know, uh, people, hey, you're going to go to hell. And you know, I'm like, man, whatever, man, you know, and it, it didn't do anything to me. Mm -hmm. What happened was, is that I began to yearn for the Lord when I was out there. I began to have kids from all these different women and I began to be out there. And I'm like, you know what, God, you know, uh, I'm tired of living like this, man. Tired, tired of living like this. If you don't take this away from me you don't take because at that time i was on drugs and i'm like if you don't take this away from me i'm gonna die that's it i can't stop i can't stop if you're if you're real god and you you have the power then you need to take this away from me and when i fell on my face and i cried out to god he instantly took it away from me at that moment instantly instantly man and i was a completely different person from that day and that's when i was about 27 years old and um 42 now but um, 
that's when I started walking with the Lord. I just, and then it, my street name was evil. That's what people used to call me. That was my nickname on the, uh, when I was in the streets. My nickname was evil. And that's what I used to try to live up to. Wow. And, and then, you know, the Lord just had a, a complete conversion in my life. But, but me coming to the Lord as being a baby Christian, had a lot of issues, a lot of issues. And when I had came to the Lord, I tried to find a church and, um, Everybody just kept rejecting me. It was weird. I'm like, hey, man, you know, I feel different. I'm, hey, can I, I started going to these churches. And because of the way I looked, because I had a bald head, the big tattoo in the back of my head, it was all tatted up. It's like nobody wanted anything to do with me. Yeah. They're supposed to be, and they're supposed to be Christians. Right. But they just completely looked down at me, completely. It was weird because the only people that opened their door was the Mormons, right? So I went to the Mormon church. I didn't even know what it was, right? I thought it was. I thought they were Christians because they're all oh, Jesus Christ, Latter Day Saints. Okay, so I'm like, oh, okay, I've never heard of Mormons before. I mean, I've heard of Mormons. I didn't know that they were some type of cult, but I, you know, I didn't know. You know, I thought they were Christian because they were saying Jesus Christ. Had no idea. So right. they opened sure. their doors. And and what appealed to me was them. There was that brotherhood again. There was that openness, that what I found in the gang life. There was that sense of family is what they were big on, you know. So as I began to go there, I began to they start talking about Joseph Smith. I'm like, who's Joseph Smith? <laughs> you mean? And they say, they gave me this extra. Here's the, uh, they gave me this, their Yep. There are extra, extra scriptures, you know what I mean? I'm like, what? And then when I'm reading it, so I'm there and I'm starting, I'm reading the Bible too, but I'm reading the Bible more than what I'm, I'm reading the Book of Mormon. And then I keep saying, hey man, the Book of Mormon, some of these people are in the Bible. They're like, oh no, those are different people. They came from the Americas and blah, blah, blah. I think what drove me to them, because I told them, the only thing I know about Mormons is this. I told them, I had a dream one time and the dream was I was um, in this garden and there was this fountain in the garden and I was by the fountain and there was these two glass double doors to uh, see through glass double doors, but they had etching on it. The doors had etching of like flowers and all that on it. And I remember wearing all white. I was wearing all white and I walked through those double doors. And when I walked through the double doors, I was like in a theater. All of a sudden there was like a theater. And at the bottom of the theater was these three humanoid beings, I, that's all I can explain. They weren't human. But they were like humanoid, the human-like, very tall. They had like Afro-looking type of hair. They, they were waving their hand towards me to come down. And so when I went down to them, all three of them laid their hands on me. And I just felt this electricity go through my whole body like if I was being electrocuted. And I woke up and I heard the word Mormon. And then when I had told them that, I said, that's the only thing I know about Mormons is that dream. And they were like, oh, my gosh, you know, what the what you said is like the Los Angeles temple. That's how it looks. And we wear white clothes. And, you know, we there's a theater that they do these uh, reenactments and all that. And so I'm like, oh, OK, you know, and, and they made it seem like if I was special or something, you know, uh -huh. because I had that dream. You know, so uh, so I, I went there and then. I just began to see like just the error of what they were teaching because I, I, I like to ask a lot of questions and I always look at it like this. If you, if your truth can't handle the questions, you need to question your truth, man, you know, because their truth couldn't handle the questions. 
right away they were just like very defensive and you know I'm yeah like, well, this doesn't make sense you know so to me uh, from being in the streets that's how you 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 conduct yourself because it's life and death it's life and death so you have to be able to read a situation and if things don't seem right you better make the right decision or it's going to be your life you know so yeah. that's how that's how i kept that mentality of like hey dude like um if your truth can't handle my questions then you need to question your truth because you know there's something not truth is truth it's gonna it's gonna handle no no matter what comes against it no matter right. what yeah totally so you start so you started going okay this probably isn't isn't for me where'd you go from there so then i went to my mom's old church and uh went back over there and um back to being a pentecostal big, it's, well, they turned it. They, she went to a okay. So my mom changed churches when I was eleven years old, because the pastor died. So we went to a, another church. You know, the son took over. He wasn't the same. He wasn't the same as the dad. So we went to another church called Cottonwood Christian Center, and that's in in uh, Los Alamitos. And at that time, they were in a storefront. So they were like, I don't know, like in a storefront. So it was like people hanging out of the. Uh, of, of the room. It was just a small little room and the pastor had no microphone. He was just preaching from a little podium, you know, but it was the same type of deal. Church would last all night. And, you know, eventually they moved to a bigger building. And now, you know, pastor's name is pastor Bayless Conley's on TV. Now church is like 15,000 people. A, a, wow. You know, 15 to 20,000 people a week. But we were there when they were like real little and we've seen the growth and, and, but, um, so I went back over there you know, uh, it was a little different. I kind of, um, kind of showy, a little bit showy to me when I went, I'm like, mm, I don't, I don't know. It was just like, um, it was its own culture. I, I would say, you know, had its own way of doing things. And, um, I don't know, it the, the lifestyle was a little different. Um, it was like, this is the church lifestyle and this is how you're supposed to conduct yourself. And, you know, you're supposed to listen to this type of music and, supposed to be around this type of people and you're supposed to talk like this. And, you know, so I, I kind of lost my identity trying to be like that. Mm. And in reality, I'm like, well, this isn't me, you know, like I'm being fake. I'm not being myself. I thought being a Christian, I thought I had to look and talk like a certain person, you know? Yeah. Because that's interesting because sometimes our models will show us people who, um, you know, especially in circles like that where they preach the holiness thing, which there's some, there's some goodness to that, right? There's, there's some, Hey, let's, let's not choose to sin. Right. But it can lead us to go to, to kind of put our trust in that instead of in Christ. And and was that what you were experiencing? Well, a little bit, not so much of no? that. It was just like its own culture. Like, uh, sure. It's like, this is the Christian culture. You have to listen to Hillsong. You have to listen. You have to be in our little, watch, you know, our little movies. And, you know, I don't, and I don't know. It was like a, a life of its own, different life. You yeah. know, it wasn't, I just felt like I needed to be like, like them, you know? And, and the thing is, it's like um, a lot of the preaching, Pastor Bayless was a good preacher, but a lot of the preaching, uh, I would say it started to turn, it's not really scripture. It's just like motivational speaking. Yeah. And um, it kind of turned me off because I'm, I, to me, I seen it that it was fake. Like what's the difference between this and the world? There's no difference. You're just saying God instead of 
yourself instead of yourself, but you're using the exact same thing. Like it's, you, you could have put Tony Robbins up there who's not a believer. And he would just, if you were to change his language from yourself into God, he'd probably have a big church. Right. Totally. And so, but he's not a believer. He, yeah. He's a, so uh, yeah. So well, you don't, have to, you don't have to be filled with the Holy spirit to have a motivational speech. <laughs> right. So the thing is, it's just because they're speaking like that doesn't mean that that speech is spirit filled. It speaks to the the flesh. It speaks to my five senses, my sight, taste, touch, sound, smell. It speaks to my very fleshiness of myself. But it's not speaking directly to the spirit. So there's that disconnect. Yeah. Okay. So what did you do? So how did you, because you're starting to realize, it sounds to me that you're, you're like putting on this persona and trying it on and going, this is not me. This isn't who God's calling me to be. So, right. so how did I, you I find who God is that, calling that you to be? My life, uh, even my Christian walk wasn't, you know, it's just, I'm like, I need more. So I went to the school of ministry and in the school of ministry, I learned a lot more. And I'm like, why don't we teach this in church? Why is this, why do we have to go to school to learn this? Why isn't this automatically just taught in church? Like, I didn't, I didn't understand that. Like, why do we have to pay to go to school? just to learn what should we already be learning in church and so i'm like why ain't they preaching this in church and that that was my thing at the school of ministry so yeah what were you learning out. just uh everything about the bible uh okay. how to read yeah, the bible yeah. how to learn you know how to study the bible and uh just a lot deeper than just motivational speaking and i and so like hermeneutics and all that and and so i was like uh asking them why don't why don't we teach this in at church, why do we have to go to school to learn this? Like, isn't church supposed to be school? You know, isn't that where we're supposed to learn? <laughs> right. Like, I don't understand this. Like, you know, so to me, like I said, like I asked a lot of questions. So I, I, you know, my walk wasn't as strong as I needed to be. There was a lot of older Christians that would look at me and be like, you need to be like this, brother. And I would look at them like, dude, like you've been walking with God for 30 years and I've only been walking with God for about five minutes. And you want me to be just like you? It took you 30 years to get where you're at. But I'm supposed to be like you in five minutes? Oh, man. I'm so glad you said that because I think that's one of the hardest things in the journey is when people say, hey, this is what spiritual maturity is like. And that's really just where they are. Right? And you're going, okay, but you have to walk on your own journey. There is something that spiritual maturity looks like. It's Jesus. But... We all kind of have to get there and it takes a time. It takes a process and it's okay for you to be where you are. Right. Yeah. Right. And that's what I always tell people now. I said, you know, the problem is what I see with a lot of people when they, um, when they get people saved, they do this shotgun prayer and they get like 30 people saved and okay, we'll come back to church next Wednesday and there's no discipleship. And, you know, and then you have other People that are, oh, brother, you're supposed to be like this. You're supposed to be like this. And they end up breaking the life of a baby believer. I always look at it like this. Like, you know, one time I had my daughter on my on my chest and I was just playing with her. And I felt the Lord tell me, you see how you see your baby as a baby? This is how I see baby Christians. Mm. And, yeah. and I thought about it and it hit me like a ton of bricks. Like, wow, Lord, like... If I were to put my baby on the bed and walk away and not come back for a whole month, she'd be dead because she can't feed herself. She can't crawl. She can't do anything. 
for herself. She needs me to come over there, love her, hold her, take her hand and, and teach her. But if there's nobody there to teach her or if I'm constantly scolding her because she can't walk or and she's just a baby and I'm telling her, hey, how come you can't walk? Or she's turning five years old. Hey, how come you can't think like me? How come you can't reason like a, you know, <laughs> a, like a 42 year old? Right. What's wrong with you? It's going to just break her. And that's how I felt the Lord was telling me this is how he sees baby Christians that come to the Lord. People, they want them to automatically start eating, chewing, walking, everything. But it's impossible. This is why they're called babies. Right. You know. So. Right. Take your time. It's okay. You have time to learn. Right. Right. It's okay. Wow. Okay. Right. So I be, so I begin to, you know, start studying for myself and, and um, you know, uh, I started studying the, the the word of God, like in the Hebrew and Greek and um, looking at it, you know, uh, in the Hebrew and Greek and understanding that, wow, you know, the, the old Testament was written in Greek through the Subtuagent and, you know, it was, you know, and how the Subtuagent came along and then, and how the old Testament, I mean, the new Testament was written in Hebrew too. And through the, the Franz Delich in, in the early 19th century, you know, and, um, and how most, you know, uh, Christians that that are well, most that um, Jews that are Christian practicing Christians in Israel read. They don't read Greek; they read the Hebrew, right? And they, and they read read it from Franz Delich Hebrew. So it's like, wow, we have the Bible complete in Hebrew and Greek. Those are both both alphanumeric languages. They're both, you know, they're num they're they're numbers, and you know that's where we get the number six 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 from that the infamous number it's not an actual number it's actually letters it's a word you mean right and um it's the same thing in in hebrew and not only that one one language is written from left to right another one is written from right to left right and so they both complement each other but in reading it like that and i begin to like search the scripture like if it was hid treasures man because I remember reading mm. that search the scriptures like that they're hid treasures, right? And when you and when you do that and you diligently search them and you're reading back and forth, you know it's just like it, it comes alive, and and so I begin to fo I begin to focus my relationship with God, me, just my own personal relationship, and 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 growing that with the Lord and stop I stop trying to look at other people and st I stop trying to be like them, because and started just being myself. You know, like God, I always say God loves you for who you are. He loves your personality. He loves the way you are. He doesn't want anything to change about you. He loves your personality. The only thing that he wants you to change is you doing his will, not your own. That's it. But God loves your personality. He loves the difference in, in people. It's like, you know, that's, that's why he made different cultures. That's why he made different people different because he loves that. Right. You know, he loves you for who you are. Not everybody fits in the same mold. We're not robots. Yeah. You know? I love that. That's why I stopped using the language. I guess I, I used it earlier, but of uh, being like Christ, um, even though I know that Paul uses that. Um, I think it, we, in English anyway, we've kind of misinterpreted it to be like, oh, I have to respond always exactly how Jesus would. And it's um, Dallas Willard def redefined that a little bit, right? To say, no, it's how, how Jesus would if he were you, right? So you, you are, you are made in God's image and you have a certain personality and God wants you to use it, right? He's given it to you for a reason. And so, um, yeah, I love that. I think that's great. So it sounds like you started to, you finally decided, Hey, I'm, I'm going to be me in Christ. And so you, you went out and started finding that.
Yeah, when I started finding that, and he, I, like it is weird. My wife, she would tell you, like when I you know, came to the Lord, I thought I had to wear my pants all the way up to my stomach, tuck my shirt in, <laughs> and, and you know, wear a bow tie. You know, uh-huh. that's what I thought. That's what I thought I had to look like. And I'm like, that's not me, though, man. That's not how I dress. It's not what I look like. You know, that's just right. not me. So I just started just relaxing and being like me. And I've noticed because, you know, I started getting jobs. God started opening doors. And like I said, I got all my kids, custody of all my children. And so God began to open the doors for me to get better jobs, you know, better paying jobs. And this one job I was delivering, uh, it was a job to uh, for nitrogen, uh, to deliver nitrogen. So nitrogen, oxygen, argon gases, they were uh, air gas. So I was, this guy was training me and one look at me, he just looked at me and he's like, he's like, look, man, I don't want to hear none of your gangster stories. I don't want to hear none of that rap stuff. I don't want to hear no cussing. I don't want to hear none of that. I'm like, and he was like, cause I'm a Christian. All we play here is Christian music. And I'm thinking to myself like, Oh, okay. I'm a Christian too, brother. No worries, man. It's all good. You know, that's what I was thinking to myself like, okay. But he was just right away, just like negative towards me. Right. And so I just stood quiet. I'm like, okay. You know, and the whole time, you know, I'm just watching him and, and trying to learn from him. And, uh, you know, this because he's had like a real chip on his shoulder. And he started playing like Christian rap music and looking at me to see if I was bobbing my head. It was kind of weird. It was just really strange. Like if for whatever reason, he thought if I play this Christian rap music, this guy's going to like it, you know. And it just it made me feel real uncomfortable. I kind of felt embarrassed for him. Yeah. You know. You know, because I'm like, like, you're like, you know, I, I, I felt like I couldn't really speak because he was so angry. And so there was this one point where um, we were I was unloading and I turned the wrong valve and he slapped my hand real hard, shut the valve down, screaming in my face, screaming to the point of like he's spitting on me with his finger right in my face. He's like, you're the slowest. You're the, you can't learn nothing. What's wrong with like yelling at me like that? And so, you know, I still have issues with, uh, of anger from the past, you know, of being violent in the streets. Sure. Like those are things I'm always going to have to work through. Right. You know? And so right away, that old part of me automatically was like, what? So I threw my gloves down. I'm like, what's up, man? I said, you know what, man? You're, you, uh, I feel threatened by you and I'm going to have to defend myself. And when I said that, I must have said it in a way where it scared him because his whole countenance just dropped. Like he got scared. Like he turned white. And I, when I seen that, I got scared and I walked away. I said, oh, man, I called my wife and I'm like, babe, I just need you to pray for me right now. Please, man. This guy's really testing me. Like he just smacked my hand. He's yelling at me in my face. Uh, and, and for me, it's like if I, if I hurt this guy, I lose everything. Yeah. Everything, my kids, everything. So it's like really, I'm like walk. I have to be very careful because everything sits on this one decision that I make, everything. And so I'm like, oh man, it's really hard to put myself in check because that's my natural self wants to do that. My flesh automatically wants to react. That's just what my flesh wants to do. My flesh just wants yeah. to knock this guy out. So, so what'd you do? Spirit, but my spirit knows that it's wrong. So I, there was that, that battle right there. So I called my wife because I needed extra help. I needed prayer at that moment. So pray for me and I felt better. I walked away and I was quiet and I apologized to that guy for saying that to him. But then I told him, I said, look, man, I said, can you do me a favor? He's all, what is that? I said, can you, the next time you train somebody, can you not tell them that you're a Christian, please? 
He's like, what? I said, yeah. I said, can you not tell them that oh, you're no. a Christian? I said, he's like, what do you mean? I said, well, you know what, man? I'm a Christian, but you didn't give me a chance to tell you anything because you were so upset. I said, if you were my, if I was a non-believer and you were my only example of what Christ looks like, I would want nothing to do with God at all. Why? Because I see no happiness in your life. I don't see the love of Christ in you at all. I said, please, man, please. Can you please, when you, when you train somebody, please do not tell them you're a Christian if you're going to act this way, because you're giving a bad testimony of Christ. You're putting his name in a bad light, please. I said, luckily, I'm a believer. I have my own relationship. But if I didn't, I would want nothing to do with God if, if you were my only example of him. And it's like, um, it's like I put a knife right through his chest. Looked like he wanted to cry. Yeah. So you really, you really called him out there. Did he, uh, did he change? Well, he just told me, Hey man, I'm just human. I said, I understand that. I go, but if you're going to walk around and you're going to bear the name of Christ, then you need to really act like it. Don't bear the name of Christ. If you're going to, if you're going to, you know, give his name in a bad light, don't do it. Yeah. Just well, quiet. okay. So two other things I want to, I want to just touch on before we go, cause we got, we got to wrap up here soon. Um, but you said you got custody of all your kids and I'm, I promise we get back to that story. So like, how, how did that happen? Yeah. So I got off drugs and, um, went to go live back with my mom and dad. They finally allowed me to come back. They didn't want nothing to do with me, but, um, they, they seen that there was an actual change and, um, I started going to work only got a job. And then I was, I just felt in my heart that I needed to get my kids. And, um, their mother was, you know, both their mothers were on drugs. Uh, one of the three of my kids, their mother was in prison. She went to prison for a year. Then she went to prison for five years after that. So they were living in the projects. I went over there and took them from the grandmother. Like, look, you know, I'm the dad I'm here. My mind is right. I'm taking custody of them. It was, it was a battle. You know, they took me to court for like three years fighting me. But I eventually, you know, I, I, I got full custody to write even before the battle. So, you know, they just went, took me to court to try to take recustody back, but they didn't, they weren't able, they weren't successful. And then my other daughter, you know, um, her mom just eventually just gave her to me cause she couldn't handle, she was just in the streets like here, here you take her. And so, um, I was able to get custody of all my kids and then, you know, plus my wife who I have kids with now, you know, and we all living in one roof. That's how God restored. He restored my life. It's, it's pretty amazing because it's like, if you would have known me for who I was and, you know, everybody thought that I would be dead. Everybody thought I would, I was like the last person that anybody would think that would ever make it in life ever. You know, I, I never even thought I would, I would always tell my mom, you know, when I was younger, mom, I'm not going to live to be 18. I'm going to die. Either I'm going to wow. die as a gangster in the streets or I'm, I'm going to die of AIDS or I'm going to be in prison mm. for the rest of my life. You know, and that's, that's how, that's what I was looking forward to. I'm like, that's the way, this is just the gangster lifestyle. So friends getting killed at 14, getting shot in the head. And so it's just like, that's just what it is. And I would tell my mom that I could never see my life past 18. Never. And when I turned 18, I was just, I, it was just weird. I was just, I think that's why I got more destructive because I was living longer than what I ever would thought. 
I could never picture myself with kids, could never picture myself with the family, could never picture my, could never picture that. It was just death, you know. But now where I'm at now, it's just like, wow, you know, I'm thankful for each day that I have because I know it's it's from the Lord. It's nothing to do with me. Yeah, what a what a transformation. And uh what a what a different perspective, right? Having a perspective of, hey, I'm not gonna live that long to uh, I'm going to live forever with Jesus. That's a different world, right? Right. Yeah. Wow. Okay. And then the other thing I wanted to talk about, because we mentioned you're a podcaster, how'd you get into podcasting? And uh, tell us a little bit about that. I want people to know where they can find you. Well, the way I got into podcasting was um, God had, I had put in my heart. I was driving down the street over here where, uh, where my old church used to be that I grew up in, real Pentecostal church. And I noticed that just in this half a block, there was like five churches in half a block. And the right across the street from that church was a magic store, a witchcraft store, like magic with a K. And I'm looking, I'm like, there's five churches and there's this witchcraft, witchcraft place right here, right in the middle of all of them. I walked in there, walked into that, that magic store and had all these like herbs and spell books and all kinds of uh, crystals. And I was talking to the guy, I'm like, Hey man, um, you guys have a lot of business here. He's like, Oh yeah. You don't believe all the kinds of, we get all kinds. We even have classes here. The classes in the back. No. Oh, wow. And so, so I was like amongst all these churches, there's this, you know, place where it's for the practicing magic and magic with a K I'm not talking about, you know, little magic store that you go to that you, you playing cards, it's about like magic that, black magic. So, um, I, I was thinking to myself, like, wait a minute, there's five church. This shouldn't even be happening with these five churches. You know, this, this whole block should be sanctified or so, you know, that's what I was thinking, you know, like this is, this is, there's something wrong here. Right. So as I begin to go down the street, I went about, I don't know, about a two mile square radius. It was 40 churches in that little two mile square radius. 40. Wow. 40 churches and there's a bunch of massage parlors everywhere, liquor stores, people out in the streets, witchcraft places. And I'm like thinking to myself, where's the victory, man? Like where, why ain't this city turned upside down? Why aren't these liquor stores being closed down because they're getting no business? Why aren't these massage parlors being closed down because they're not getting business? Why? Like what? There's some with 40 churches. It should be way different than what it looks like now. So the Lord put in my heart to go to each of these churches and to get them and to talk to them and to get them together for a night of prayer. And, and so what I did is I went and mind you, there's all these different denominations. And what I, I spoke to all the pastors, which was amazing in itself because I literally, God would tell me, get in my car, go straight, make a left, make a right, wait in this parking lot. Oh, wow. There's a car coming up, get out, talk to that man end up talking to the man he ends up being the main pastor, you know? And, and, and there he's like, well, how did you know I was here? And I'm like, I didn't, you know, I just, <laughs> Lord, I'm just being obedient to what God is telling me, you know? And, but like in mega churches too, you know? Yeah. And so I was able to speak to 40 pastors. I didn't know where I was going to hold it at. I had no idea. I said, Lord, you put this in my heart. You're going to have to make a way. I'm not worried about it. And so uh, Salvation Army was like, oh man, you can have it here. We'll give, we'll pass out coffee, you know, cookies and all that. You can have it here. So that, that door opened it up for me to have it there. And, um, 
there's about 20 pastors that came that night. And my whole message was like, you know, even though we all are at different denominations, you know, the core value of what we believe the the main, the, the main um, foundation is Jesus Christ. You believe that Jesus is God. Do you believe that he came on this earth? Do you believe that he died for our sins? Do you believe that he rose again? Do you believe that uh, he, he sent his Holy Spirit to, to lead us into truth? Do you believe that we're in a spiritual battle right now? You know, you, you believe that the only way to, to the Father is through Christ, that, that our salvation lies through what he's done, that his death, burial, and resurrection, that his shed blood is the only way that can, cleanses us from our sins, not by our works, but by what he has done. And if you believe those things, then we have that in common. All the rest of the stuff that we can iron that out later, we're always going to disagree. We're not going to always agree 100%. But you know what I was telling them? The devil, the devil's not divided, but the church is. The word denomination, when you look at the root word of it, it means division. It means division. I said, the devil's not divided against himself, but we are as a church. We're fractured. We're like a broken glass that just got dropped and shattered into a bunch of pieces. And we're all separated because, no, I believe in speaking in tongues. Oh, no, I believe in this. No, I believe in that. But it's like, you know what? We, those are not salvational issues. The salvational issue is Jesus Christ, who he is, period. Now, we, we can just call ourselves the church. Now, there may be different flavors in the church, but we're still the church. So we should have, this city should be turned upside down. We need to come together as in prayer. We need to start working with each other. And we need to start looking over our, our, our differences and believe and come together because of Jesus Christ, because the enemy is not divided against himself. But we are as a church. The biggest, the, the biggest trick that the devil has done was coming to the church and divide it. So, and so that, that's what it was birthed out of the, the, um, the podcast. So I began to go at built relationships with all these churches. So I have a podcast called getting understanding. So what I do on this one, I go and I, um, interview different, uh, denominations to see what the difference is and what they believe. And, and then I also, I interview different religions so that those people that are uh, believers of Christ can understand what other religions are. So they can have tools when they talk to them, you know, they, they know what they're talking about. You know, I like to always, I like to go and in, into where they're at. You know, I went to uh, interview a Muslim and I went to their mosque and had an interview in their mosque and was able to share Christ in the mosque. Like 30 different, you know, Muslims there, you know, all watching you know, as we're, talking about Jesus and we're going back and forth. Not an argument. We're just talking about what we believe. And I always tell these different religions, say, look, I'm a Christian, so I have a Christian bias, but I really want to know what you believe. But I'm just letting you know that I have a Christian bias. But, you know, if you're willing to do the interview, then we can do that. But I just want to let you know my stance. So, so, um, yeah, you know, I go to different religions to find out what they believe. That way, that way God's people can be you know, they can have tools when they're talking to people like that. They know where they're coming from and they, they can know how to um, minister to them, you know. And um, then I talk to people that are doing missions that are on the mission field and, you know, various different missions, people in Ecuador or, you know, all, all over the place and um, street missions. And, you know, um, I interview people that are uh, that are um, that different testimonies. Yeah. So that give different testimonies and all that. So that that's what getting understanding is about. And I have another one called Eyes Wide Open. That one's a little bit more. Uh, I guess I guess you would say a little more controversial because it has to do with like uh, 
I don't know, things that are going on in the world and my outlook on how all this stuff that's going on is, is, is conditioning us to, to eventually, you know, for the end times and, and where it's going as far as like, you know, whether it be vaccines, you know, how I feel like vaccines in itself isn't bad, but in California, they're trying to force everybody to get vaccines or you can't even meet up in church. If you're not vaccinated, yeah, there's a there's kind of a interesting battle brewing there. With so all that I stuff. always look at that as that's just conditioning us for the mark of the beast. It's getting people used to allowing to be injected and it not being a big deal, you know. Yeah, interesting take. Okay, well, Leonard, thanks so much for being here. I really appreciate your story. It's uh, you know God does some amazing things. I appreciate you sharing all that with us. And where can people find you? Or do you have anything anything you want to leave us with? Yeah, I mean, you can find everything on the Fringe Radio Network. And I have to warn everybody, not everybody on that network <laughs> is a Christian. But, you know, like I said, I don't like just preaching to the choir. I like to preach to those that are not yeah. believers. It's unique. You know. Johnny Johnny McMahon, right? Johnny McMahon, that's right. He, he's, he's he's one of my good friends. I love him because he's really real. And um, what you see is what you get with him. <laughs> yes, indeed. Uh, and that's, that's okay. Um, but I think, yeah, totally, you guys should uh, check out... Uh, Leonard's podcast and uh, if you're looking for something unique check out Fringe Uh, Leonard thanks for being here appreciate it All right, Eric thank you you bet